On this episode of A State of Control, we talk about the importance of source code, but not from the standpoint of ownership. We talk about how to develop good source code, the value of good source code, and how to make a profit still doing it. All that and more on A State of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. A State of Control. A State of Control, Episode 60, Technical Debt. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. Welcome to A State of Control, an AV Nation podcast that highlights the control programming and automation aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us. So in the early days of A State of Control, and we're going back to episodes 16 and 17, uh, to be exact, uh, Rich, Tim Albright, and I spoke with David Barnett, and we talked about the importance of good source code. And it was an intriguing two-part conversation that had a lot of content, and it's about time that we revisit that topic again. So we'll be speaking about that today, and with me to discuss this and shed light on the topic, both from the AV programming perspective as well as a software developing pr- development perspective, are a few guests and uh, returning to us. And first, I'd like to uh, introduce my partner at Estate of Control. He is Uncle Richie, and he also goes by Rich Fergoza. How are you, Rich? I'm doing good. Middle West Coast greetings. Uh, I, I'm glad for uh, us to have the two of the smartest guys in the room, and I know that it's not you or me. So, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> so, let's introduce them. First, uh, coming to us from Pantech Design. His name is Troy Morgan. How are you, Troy? Doing great, guys. Happy to do this with you once again. Always enjoy being on the show. Thanks. Thanks for being here. And second, and last but not least, Oliver Hall from Ultimation. He comes to us from the UK. How are you, Oliver? I'm brilliant. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Thanks. So, um, So the source code discussion has historically been about source code ownership, but that's not really what we're going to get into today. I think that that's a topic for another discussion, and I think that we've really uh, explored that quite a bit. But what we're going to talk a little bit more about is the importance of best practices in source code development. So Rich, let's set the scene for everybody. Um, When you're talking about the design and formatting of source code, how important is that and how relevant is it to AV pro control programming? I think it's critical. I mean, again, it's uh, the four of us here, we've got probably a good, I'm going to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 75 years of software development and programming experience, not only in, uh, you know, control system programming, but, but software development in general. And it, one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older is that my memory's gotten worse and, uh, commenting is is a matter of being able to uh, your past self doing your future self a favor, uh, but not only yourself, but as you grow and as you develop and as projects get handed over, it's the natural evolution of a project. I think 
um, and we talked about this on one of our prior shows, you know, the one of the, uh, the pitfalls of control system programming, and, and especially in the AV industry, is that you're, you're always under the gun. There's always a deadline. The, you know, the job's got to be going and the show must go on. And so there's always this mad dash of the finish line. And although we try as much as possible to avoid those, those, uh, those instances, things happen. And when you get in a time crunch, you know, your first, your first reaction is to want to cut corners. Um, just to, you know, get it done, quote unquote. And the problem is, is that you don't do yourself any favors with that because sooner or later, somewhere down the line, you are going to come back to the project or you're going to hand over the project or, you know, you're going to upgrade the project and all of the things that the person on site or who is deploying remotely has kept in their head, um, you know, things pass, you know, four, five, 10, 50 more projects pass between the time that you were there um, deploying that specific project and, and when you're coming back. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really important. I mean, in the international flair, I must say, it's, it's the tea and crumpets of uh, everything that we do. You've got, you know, you've, you've, you've got to make sure that it's always there and it's always just right because, you know, nobody likes bad tea and crumpets. <laughs> I think for, for the, in the AV world as well, systems change more frequently than perhaps they do in traditional programming. You know, well, well I, mean, I guess live systems are constantly in development, but things tend to change a lot, don't they? So you do end up coming back to code that you wrote six months to 12 months ago. And, uh, and, when, and like you say, Rich, when you come back and you, you sit there staring at code and you think, why the hell did I do it that way? If you don't, if you don't use you know, structure and comments and things like that, then you can be in a right pickle. Yeah, I feel like uh, you know, being, being in business now for, I guess we're, we're in our 15th year, uh, you you, you like Rich said, you forget sometimes that it's, it's so important uh, to be able to go back and know what the heck you were doing, or more importantly, in my opinion, that you're not the guy typically anymore. I mean, there's code that I wrote in, you know, 2006, 7, 8, 9, that my guys have to go back to. And it's rather embarrassing sometimes because they're, they're better than I am. And they're looking at my stuff going, what, what were you thinking? And, and the, the point was, uh, the point is, I guess, it's not that I wasn't thinking. I was thinking about the, the, the now. I was thinking about what, is, what, what I have to do right now to pull this off and make it happen. And I think the biggest thing that we as an industry can do is recognize the importance of the future and, and, and the necessity of, uh, like has been mentioned, commenting. That's huge. It's not about you. Uh, we have a little saying in our office, it hurts sometimes to say or feel, but it's the truth. And that is your job is to replace yourself. I know that's probably tough for some people to hear, but that is absolutely the way we think because we're going to grow. We're going to bring new people in and those new people need to be able to read and do and update and you know whatever to, to the code. And when it comes to control system programming, like AV type programming, it's even worse because you, you sort of take it for granted and most of the people doing it are not software engineers. They're guys that have sort of figured out the AV side and now they're getting into uh, putting together simple Windows code. Commenting and even a structure of any kind or following a model is that's out the window, man. They don't even know where to start. I think we could probably help a lot by creating some form of a structure for our industry, at least in the AV programming side. I want to add something too that I, I just noticed right now, and this is kind of a rarity for, for state of control. Um, we've got three guys who are pretty much resi centric. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and so even more so 
you know, again, when we're dealing with commercial and we're dealing with education or industrial or, or, or government work, they're a bit more static. Um, you know, you, you've got a bit of a more fixed target to deal with, um, which is great uh, because it does give you the ability to kind of parse off pieces and, and replicate a whole lot more. Um, with Resi, you know, I, I think we've all worked by the, by the adage that um, your software is done for today. <laughs> and, and homeowners um, and residential applications move at a much different pace than, you know, a boardroom or a huddle space. Um, mm -hmm. You know, those are pretty fixed and finite. I mean, you're not going to see constant six-month to, to 12-month developments where you're changing out complete pieces of equipment or changing out an ecosystem or, uh, you know, an add-on, <laughs> you know, to, to a residence. And um, one of the things that, and early on when I, I would sit with my guys and the, the running joke was, is if I couldn't make the user manual out of your comments, um, they weren't going to be with us long. Because if that was not created in such a way for somebody to walk in and very plainly see where you're getting from point A to point B, um, you're costing yourself issues, you're costing us money, um, you're creating problems down the line, and it's tough. And, and we've all been guilty of it. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things to, to point out, and hopefully as, you know, some of the people watching are, are, are newer to the industry or the business owners, or they're going to be hiring newer people, is, you know, we, we've made these mistakes. You know, we are, we are not infallible. All of, I can guarantee, and I, and I know, I mean, same thing as Troy. I mean, I look at stuff that I wrote in 1995. <laughs> you know, that I've opened and go, what happened? But the tools changed. I did that with stuff I wrote last week. <laughs> Same, you know, again, I'll yeah, admit yeah. it. Uh, no, but like, like you say, at the beginning, you know, it's the time pressure can very much change the context of, of how you approach these. Things, can't it? You know, sort of, if you've got the luxury of time and nobody's breathing down your neck, you, you, you can go to all sorts of lengths. But uh, if somebody wants you to get the, the, the job finished, then probably, you know, good, good structures and practices and things. They're the first thing to go out the window, aren't they? So, so following up on that, and, you know, I think commenting is important. And we talked about, you know, going back to see your own code. And I think more, we're more often now we're working in teams, right? So, uh, it, that's a, another issue to take into consideration and having some type of consistency and standardization, let's call it maybe within your team, but, um, how important is it, and, uh, and Oliver, I'll, I'll send it over to you, is um, how important is it to also be able to have, be able to hand off a project to somebody else that may step in that may know nothing about your team or, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and honestly, you know, from a client's perspective, I can see that being important to them. However, they probably don't understand the value of it. Yeah, I mean... I guess it, you can come at that from all sorts of angles. I mean, for just just briefly on the, the sort of documentation, or the, rather the com the code commenting and stuff. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but we look at the documentation or the commenting of of a program as much more than just comments in the code as well. You know, we have a bundle of of documentation that goes along with the programming, which you know, data sheets of you know, and it's kind of, I guess, some of the information is replicated. You know, you can get it out of the program, but just to have a sheet of paper that talks about what. IDs you're using and things like that, what room references you're using, all that kind of stuff. We try and keep that sort of stuff up to date as well. And that, that again, is kind of supplementary information that really helps people get their head around the project. But specifically to what you're just saying there in terms of working in teams and taking over projects, that's where frameworks, I guess, you know, that's the reason that they exist or that's why, you know, for things like 
you know, Pantech and Adapt and things like that, you know, that, that little plug there, but <laughs> that's, that's, that changes the game in terms, you know, you, you instantly, you've got a common framework then that, you know, that A, there's, there's good documentation for it. It's tried and tested code. Um, people can pick it up and people from different companies can pick it up as long as they've got the know-how. Then I think those, those kind of, the frameworks are, are, that's the answer to a lot of the problems that we've got at the moment, I think. So the trouble is, is that a lot of programmers like to do it themselves, don't they? So it's sort of, they don't like relying on other people's code, especially if it's code that they can't kind of look under the hood and see how it ticks. That can be a bit of a problem. But that's a, I think that's a cultural thing rather than uh, an actual technical problem. I mean, yeah. Sure. So Troy, if, if you can, uh, and, and I think Oliver set it up very well, is to <laughs> give us a little bit of insight on, on how, how you establish a framework and, and, and uh, really what, what are the, the considerations that you put into to be able to, to, to provide something that many different people can get in and out of? Yeah. So uh, first, Oliver, thanks for the thanks for the plug there. That was that was really sweet. Um, no, you know the 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 biggest thing that we were challenged with as we were growing as a team was this very thing: is how do you have multiple people be able to work together on things, especially in the residential, like like Uncle Rich said, it's just kind of everything's a one-off and. You know, you're, you're updating these things on a sort of continual basis. It's not so much a get it done and you're finished. Uh, so how do, we, how do we do that, right? So what we, how we went about developing a framework was to first recognize um, we do have experience. We have done it wrong. We've done it different than anybody else and failed and failed often and, you know, all these things. So we took this approach to how do we solve the problem of working as a team, having a foundation and a framework, but not take away the power, right, of, of what the programmer really needs to have in his hands? We didn't want to create a sandbox because that's relatively simple to, to, you know, cut the lines like this and say, this is all you can do and put the blinders on and go. And, you know, but to have a framework that is sort of infinitely scalable and flexible and all that, um, it's, it's sort of a, it's a catch 22, right? Because uh, like Oliver pointed out, it, it's, you know, it's great to have a framework, but if you can't open the hood and look inside and see what's going on and all that, sometimes that, that sort of, you know, puts people off and they don't necessarily like the fact that they can't dig in. But when you look at the, at the pros and cons and you weigh that you're, you're, you're going to come out on the, on the positive end, having a framework as a team and being able to sort of jump in and and handle whatever gets thrown at you, uh, and it's it's really again back to what Oliver was saying about the way they do things in terms of documentation. It's the documentation of the framework that really sort of spawns more opportunity and, and growth and and momentum because having that foundation, not only do you have the code, but you also have the the documentation. I mean, I think our our adapt. Uh, uh, manual for simple windows, probably about an 85 page document. And, and that right there is invaluable because anybody can now have a reference and, and sort of make it happen. So how we did it was uh, sort of back to the direct answer. Uh, Steve is, it, it, it was a learning process. It was iterative. It took years to do, but it was all out of experience in, in what we had sort of failed at. 
But Troy, the thing that you managed to do as well, I think was an important point, is that you've, you've got a framework, but it's extensible. You can build anything yeah. with that. You know, it, you, yes, you've kind of packaged up concepts like rooms and sources and things like that so that they work in a particular way. But like you say, that's your sort of, that's your learning and your best practice kind of being um, sort of productized. But the, the great thing about it is, is that you can then build on top of that. So all of the custom stuff that clients often ask for, that you're not, you're not closed off from doing that kind of stuff. And I think, like you say, that's where some of the sandbox solutions, um, are, that's where they yeah. kind of are proper, you know, yeah, fine, I mean, they, work in, they work in 90% of the cases, but there's always those other ones where you need to do more. Yeah, there's, there's one fundamental piece that I think we can all, in the Resi guys can agree with. There, there's, a good, there, there's a good thing that comes with a floor plan and being able to visualize and see on a large touch screen, you know, what the rooms got turned on and lights and, you know, all these, that's a great thing. Mm. That chance pulling that off in a framework in a repeatable manner. You're not doing it with anything. There's nothing out there that can do this. There is always a degree of customization required. And so when you look at just that one aspect uh, of, of it, you can layer that in beautifully on top of our stuff and, and away you go or whatever you want. So anyway, sort of back to, you know, what Steve's saying, I, I think the hardest part of figuring these things out is having the awareness and the expertise and the experience to remember uh, what it was like, where you broke things, where, what worked and what didn't work, and, and being able to expand upon that uh, is, is key to you know, sort of creating this foundation that I believe our industry really needs with flexibility too. So, Rich, I'll, I'll uh, bring you in on this. Uh, you know, I think in the past, you know, speaking to what Troy said, we, we would see a lot of programs or we'd see a lot of applications out there that were intended to be that you know, drag-and-drop solution, and they created a lot of uneditable code, right, and, and a, lot of, a lot of extra overhead. And um, how, how do programmers uh, go about... How important is optimization, you know, in, in source code versus readability versus, as you said before, just you know, getting the job done? Because in the end, we're all probably producing the same product. Yeah, I mean, you know, step one, and again, I'll, I'll kind of hammer this over and over is is that, you know, the the all four of us sitting here are business owners, um, and so step one is, you know, what's going to make money. And then you work backwards from there. I mean, it's I, I did not start this company in the in the hopes of filing for not for profit status. So, um, so you know, you you have to kind of take a look at that first step, which is you are a business, you are a company, you are you are in business to make money, and and the way to make money is to be efficient. And and like Troy was saying earlier, which is you, you got to be willing to take a look at where you're weak and 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 hammer on the areas that you're weak and accept it. And know that you know it's it's it. Hopefully, it's temporary, but it is that awareness first. So you know, where does that come from? Back in in into dealing with this, which is, um, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with efficiency. There's nothing wrong with replicatable tasks. There's nothing wrong with configurable tasks. It, it's you know, and and for most of the dealers out there, um, you know, I mean, this is a unique situation. All of us um, have have made uh, have made our careers in bespoke situations and in massive projects and and those are great 
Um, and I mean, it's always the brass ring, I think, that, that any integrator wants to go after. But they're, they're monsters in and of themselves. And some of them are company killers. And so, you know, the, the, the company killer is something that you can go after. But at the same time, you got to find the ones that pay the light bills. And so my feeling has always been first. Um, if you can find something that's profitable that you can can replicate over and over with a minimum of modification. Frameworks work, customization works, drag and drop works, all of those things work, but understand what you're using them for. And that's where a lot of dealers I see get in trouble is that they unfortunately um, listen to the marketing people from the control system manufacturers. And, you know, I mean, we've heard it years and years and years, no programming required. It's just not, you know, I mean, it's- it's, Don't stop. Um, but you still got to deploy it. You still have to make it work. You have to deal with things with, I mean, it, it, there's just the oddest things that happen in the real world. And a lot of these no programming required iterations of these frameworks are being built in an office on a campus, not necessarily being tested under live fire. And then what happens is the integrators wind up being the beta sites and then reporting back. That's a very draining and expensive proposition. So, you know, the step become, you know, step one is always, you know, what can you repeat and what can you work with? And, you know, is that your secret sauce? In some cases it is, but it's deployment. But, you know, more importantly, for programmers, it's realizing embracing your part of a team. You know, we're, we're possibly the last push. We're the things that the client touches. You know, this is the thing that's, that's seen out there. But you are still part of a team. You are responsible of working with an integrator. Or you're working with a consultant. You're working with, um, you know, a facility manager, an owner's representative. And, and finding all of those tools to be able to get from, to, to deliver that product. And my feeling has always been, if there's a product that fits it, and it meets those solutions 90% of the way, and then we throw in that other 10%, well, that's the difference between midline companies and top-end developers. That last 10%, not everybody needs that last 10%. And there is a whole lot of work and development and sweat and tears and failure that go to that point. And it's okay to stay right in that middle. You know, like I said, it's, you know, it goes back to the stick with your tea and crumpets of code and you're going to be happy. You know, you're going to make money on it. Um, and continue to build your business from here on on. And that's kind of the subject of a whole other show entirely. Uh, you know, if we're talking about plugs, I'll say one thing that works out great and I'm a fan of it. Um, Oliver came out with a diagnostic tool he called Simplify, right? Which it's an editor. It's basically, you know, like having an editor for your code that looks over your shoulder and says, you screwed that up, you screwed that up. That's not going there. This is an issue over here. And it's literally the little thing that's barking in your ear saying, you should fix that, you should fix that, you should fix that. Use the tools. And, and, and probably the biggest thing that I would say in the source code conversation is we're not encouraging the use of tools. And that's been in the tech industry for years. You know, just software that doesn't do anything other than keep an eye on you to make sure that you make less mistakes. And that's probably the biggest um, advancement I've seen in like, you know, really in only the last five, six years where we're seeing it now in the AV programming industry, that there are lots of tools out there. You know, I know Control Concepts came out with some tools several years ago that we're, we're doing this process as you're growing, as you're building a team, as other people are going to be getting to the project, you know, you know, are we ever going to have standards that we're all going to follow? No, because it's, it's still a bit of the wild west in terms of the individuals. But if we can collaborate more and build those tools more, um, you know, I mean, better code, more money. So that's the way I look at it. And some of those tools are kind of 
bleeding over from traditional programming as well, aren't they, into AV kind of, as, you know, I suppose I'm going to talk about Crestron naturally because that's kind of where we're focused. But, um, you know, with the adoption of C-sharp and stuff like that, you know, there's, there's, there's tools now, things like StyleCop and uh, CodeMade and things like that, which, like you're saying, Rich, they, they help you as a programmer that you can, you can think about your design and your, um, you know, you're doing the hard part, the, the, the writing the code and, and leave the kind of stylistic stuff to something else. These tools can help you tidy up your code as you go along. And it's, I mean, it's, I love it when you compile and you don't get any warnings and things like that. I mean, that's, and that's kind of where we were aiming for with Simplified to try and help people sort of keep their code nice and neat and tidy as they go along so that they don't press compile and get, 15,000 errors or something or warnings and all that kind of carry on. So, so Oliver, if you wouldn't mind, take, take that a little further. I, you know, I, one of the things that comes to mind for me is versioning control and archiving and, yeah. uh, uh, but, but also uh, the, we're, we're, we're looking at a lot more about uh, security concerns and, and, and now we're, we're dealing with a lot of things that are, aren't isolated to our own little uh, home that nobody else can get into. Um, are, are, uh, how, how has source code evolved to, to modern day and, and what, what are some of the, the, the considerations that have to be taken into to account now? Are you talking specifically about security stuff and things like that, or just? Uh, I, I guess um, you know the what 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 are um, security is one of them, but you yeah. know the, 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 what are some of these best practices to help to help uh, others out? I, there? I think that's it. There's there's tons of tools now. On the, I mean, so my pet favorite is sort of test driven development. That's one of the kind of that's one of the uh, the ethos of programming that I'm particularly keen on, and it's difficult with things like Crestron and simple Windows programming and stuff like that because they're not particular; they don't really lend themselves to testing frameworks. But in terms of more traditional programming, C sharp and stuff like that, then it it takes a lot of discipline because you know to be able to write tests before you write your code, um, which is the right way to do it. I mean, most a lot of the time I'll write a bit of code and then I'll write a test and then I'll write a bit more code, and you know you sort of flip flop between the two, but being able to run a set of tests once you've finished a module or a, a chunk of code and, and have it, you know, pop through the tests and give you the green flag on all of them. It's, it's actually very motivating because all of a sudden you know that you've got a piece of code that, you know, obviously as long as you've written your tests properly, because you have to be testing for the right things. But as, as long as you've done that, you can actually walk away from that code and say, you know, I've, I know that that works. And when somebody then comes back and says, oh, your programming's not working, you can actually say, well, actually, I know it is, and it, and it must be something else, or look somewhere else, or it's a test that we can t cover, or something like that. And that's that's great. And then you know we can take that e the next step on. There's a thing called continuous integration in more traditional programming, where you know every time you check in your code into a version control system, something like that. So you know, everyone loves GitHub and things like that. But we use SVN in the office because we're not really running a sort of distributed model. But every time we check some code into SVN. We have a continuous integration machine, which uh, there's a tool called Jenkins, which is freeware that pulls the code out. It runs your unit tests and it emails you if you if you failed anything. So every time you commit something, you're getting a tap on the shoulder, like Richard was saying before. You know, something's just saying, "Going, actually, you've just broken the build." And then, you know, then you can walk across the office and uh, tap someone on the shoulder and say, "You just committed something that broke it." You know, and I think you know, this is the thing: you can automate an awful lot of stuff. It doesn't have to be a burden. It, it does take some discipline. But there's definitely things that you can do to make sure that the quality of your code, um, you know, in, we're talking about lots of different angles here, aren't we? You know, yeah, some, but, but I think these are all very, for, very valid and, and some of these are, I, I think, are, are going to be new to some people because we don't always think about 
different ways to to go to the extent and um uh, you know the, I, I think that the the return can be very measurable. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and I, like you say, a lot of I think Rich mentioned before that a lot of AV programmers kind of come into this world from, uh, you know, they're not necessarily coming down the traditional programming sort of track. And we, to be honest, we don't really look at ourselves as an AV company. We're more of an, you know, we we don't obviously we're we're involved in things that have audio and video, but we're much more of a control integration company. So I'm, I look at it much more as a sort of programming exercise, but. Um, you know, guys that have come from an installation background aren't going to know what things like mocking are and stuff like that, other than, you know, having a laugh at somebody. But, you know, you, you can create classes and you can do this with Crestron ones where you kind of pretend to be, you know, the device you're talking to or, or something like that. And you can build these testing frameworks that, that you know, test all of your code to, to quite a large extent so that when it actually does go into a live project, you know that you know, 75, 85% of it is okay. Trey, can you um, add to that at all from a, from a, the, the software development side of things? And and is is the, are there is there enough of a crossover that um, AV programmers can learn from? And 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 where you know what I guess what, what what advice would you give somebody that was looking to step up their game when it comes to source code? Yeah, so I think first uh, and foremost, um, tools are very very important. Uh, I have not found that there is any one tool that's perfect, uh, that does everything, that fixes all the problems, that solves everything. Um, I think the most important thing is recognizing that the, that tools for uh, all kinds of different pieces of writing code are important. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, you, you've got to sort of build your tool set. You know, it's, it's no different than any other trade in any other industry that if you are using the wrong tool for the job, you're going to have the, a negative result or, or a result that's not as good as it could have been, right? So um, tools are very, very important. Stepping through that, though, to understand the, the, the right tools. Uh, well, you've got, you've got tools that help you um, sort of design, uh, you know, simple Visio org chart or something, you know, start with uh, the end in mind a little bit and, you know, begin building a framework on paper. Uh, Oliver said something that's sort of near and dear to my heart because it's what I do too. You write code and then you go, okay, let me write a little test thing. And then you go back and you kind of update the code you wrote. Reality is we should probably be doing it a little different and we should probably focus on a few tests, get some results, be able to take those metrics and then use those to decide on maybe what the next steps are. So in the very beginning, that's just some sound advice. Another piece that I think is really, really sound advice is every, uh, in my, in my opinion, at least every piece of code to some degree has a foundation. You, you have to have a, 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 a solid foundation. This is that repeatable, sort of you, you, you can rely on it. Like Oliver was talking about, you know, you know this works. As long as you've written your code in such a way that you know that that piece is an untouched piece, that it's something that you can rely on because it foundationally does what its IO needs to do and presents you with what you need to then take the next step with whatever it is, that's extremely important. Uh, so a foundation that you can trust and rely on. And, and also, uh, to add to that, unintended consequences are 
like the craziest thing to me because you, you, you might think it's a great idea to add in this thing or do this other thing. And you have forgotten how intertwined the other things in your code really are. And all of a sudden you are in a position now where you feel like you shouldn't have to go test your code because it works, but you've done this thing and now you have unintended consequences that you didn't even expect. And so a lot of times just testing, adding things, trying things, throwing things at your code to see, you know, what happens is, is also a, a really good idea. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I want to touch on the versioning aspects of things. I, I think that um, anybody writing any kind of code, whether it's AV or, or other, has to have some understanding of how, how versioning needs to work for them. What is a large change versus a small change? How do you document that? How do you, how do you sort of model it in such a way that version 2.1.7.9 means something, right? What is, what is that? And something that is written, documented, and everybody follows is, it's extremely important. I think it's crucial, uh, especially to that foundational piece, whatever that is. I think you get that right, and you get that foundation right, uh, you sort of put yourself in a position where you can guarantee some things. And then back to uh, Uncle Rich's point, that's where the money is. That's where the, uh, we are a business. We, it's step one, we're a business, we gotta make money. That's where the money really, really is. Once you can sort of trust yourself, trust your team, your team trust a process, a versioning scheme, and a foundation, you've now got something that you can build on. Now, Steve, if, if there's something else I could mention there in terms of, you know, sort of if you're trying to keep yourself profitable and do, do you know, make, make the most money you can, there's a, a concept called technical debt, which I think, you know, a lot of people don't really know what it means. But it, it's basically the idea is that every time you're making changes to your code, you're, you're potentially building up a thing called technical debt, which is kind of um, issues that remain in the code and you paper over them by you know working around it or you say oh i'll just make this little change the trouble is that those things grow and grow and grow and eventually they consume your code and you, you know then even small changes that clients ask for will then become enormously kind of convoluted or you know large tasks to do and it makes you unprofitable basically because something that is you know you might be changing the text on a button or something or i mean we've got a thing where we have a project that we took over and um, in different rooms, the client wants different sources, and the project uh, was built in such a way that it was very static. So now we have a situation where certain rooms have to show different subpages for the touch panels to show the different sources and things like that. That's a problem brewing for us now. So uh, that's where it is. sometimes it is actually worth just to go back over these things and try and you know it's, it's uh, ideas like refactoring and things like that for source code. You can go. Th these are sort of tools that. They don't really necessarily make your code do anything extra, but they reduce that technical debt. And if you can keep the technical debt low, then you can keep working on software. If you let it build up, eventually it'll wipe you off. You know, it'll kill you. That's sound advice. Uh, we use a, a software product called EaseViewSkater. Um, and EaseViewSkater is a refactoring tool that's just, it's fantastic. Now, obviously you're not gonna throw simple windows into EaseViewSkater and, and get anything out of that, but from the simple sharp uh, side of things, the C-sharp side, it, it's, it's, been, it's been great. So those tools are, are important, yeah. 
Well, thank you guys. I think that was a great way to end this. And I think a lot of good content to share with the audience and the listeners. And hopefully this will spur on future conversations. And I know that I took away a few uh, interesting tidbits. So thank you. Uh, Unfortunately, we are running low on time. So I'm going to need to wrap some things up, but it sounds like this can be a conversation that can certainly be continued. So um, I'd like to thank um, the guests today. And first, I'll start off with Troy Morgan from Pantech Designs. How can people get in touch with you, learn about Pantech, or learn about Adapt? So, yeah, obviously, you can always find us on our website at www.pantechdesign.com, uh, or feel free to reach out to me at any time. Uh, it's T Morgan at pantechdesign.com, and of course, Facebook and, and LinkedIn and these things, you can easily find us there as well. Uh, Adapt also has its own university, uh, a YouTube university, which if you're interested in Adapt, it's a great place to start to give you a sort of an understanding of, uh, of what Adapt is and how it can help you in your business. Thank you. Uh, Oliver Hall from Ultimation. How can people get in touch with you, learn about Ultimation and also your products? Okay, so uh, same as Troy, we've got a couple. We've actually got there's two websites. One is the sort of the the businessy facing client sort of website. That's www.ultimation, which is U L T A M T M. You know, well, ultimation with an A. dot uh, <laughs> com. Um, uh, and then we've also got a a shop site where we uh, sell a few modules and things like that. But that's where you'll find simplified. So that's shop uh, shop.ultimation.com. So if you go to that one, uh, there's a there's basically the 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 baseline simplified, uh, there's a free version, which it doesn't do a great deal, but it does do what simple windows does for you um, in real time. So every time you save your simple windows program, it'll give you a list of the disconnected signals that you might have. So you can, you don't have to go through the painful, you know, uh, compile step and wait two minutes to find out what you haven't finished. So uh, that can make you a bit more productive for, for not very much. And then if you want to, you can, uh, invest in the refactoring or the debugging uh, entitlements as well, which will give you a lot more uh, analysis across the program. Um, and then the other thing, uh, yeah, so it's oliver.hall at automation.com if you want to email me. Um, I'm not great on Facebook, but my wife is on there, so uh, you'll find her lurking around on the Crestron Programmers group and things like that. And then uh, Twitter is probably the thing that we, we do most of our kind of announcements on. So there's uh, two, there's at automation and at automation tech, which is where we kind of, tend to announce more sort of module updates and things like Simplified and stuff like that. Great. Rich, I think you and I are going to have to step up our game here. <laughs> how, can people, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about what you're up to? Well, unfortunately, I don't have seven different websites to be able to get <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs> what more? Uh, the uh, best place, obviously, uh, one of the best places, you can find me on Twitter, at rfragosa. You can go to the website, uh, fragosadesign.com, but First and foremost, uh, best place to find this is here is on the avnation.tv. Uh, 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 you know, the, the, the complete bullpen of shows that we have obviously follows here on State of Control, and we have all our other shows uh, catering to the AV industry. Very good. And to, to just follow up on that, Rich and I were just on a recent AV Nation webinar, and uh, we had some other past guests from a State of Control, and we were talking about uh, this basically control and automation topics that span the the gamut uh, from voice control to um, programming versus configuration and so forth. I'm sure you can find that at avnation.tv. Check out the weeklies and the monthly shows, uh, as well as the supporters that help to make this show and the others possible. Um, I can be reached uh, 
at controlconcepts.net, my company uh, website, as well as on social media at Steve Greenblatt. Um, but we would uh, like to also hear from you. So please reach out. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know uh, what topics to be doing in the future. Uh, we're, we're, we're very uh, interested in making sure that this show, this show continues to serve the audience and we're touching on the things that are most important. With that said, that'll be it for today for State of Control.